But that morning, my husband woke me up to go to work and he takes me to the train and I go to work and I'm sucking on a fentanyl patch and I have all the Xanax in my system from the night before. And I fell asleep at my desk at work and they called me in a room and I was like, union rep. Welcome to the show, Jules. Thank you. So I met you because your name stuck out, um, not Jules, but it was I all of a sudden I saw like a new person follow my account and it said how I met your mother, comma sober. And I'm like, that's an awesome account. And <laughs> so I was like, I had to follow and I think I followed you and I think I messaged you right away. Like, awesome name. Let's do yeah. this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So when did um. It's you and your, it's about your podcast is like you and your mom. I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet only because I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to know too much about their guests before I talk to them because I like to find out stuff in the moment organically. So I try not to find out too much because then I feel like I'm leading the witness and I don't want to feel like I'm doing that. You know, I've done that once before and I hate it myself for it. So (laughs) I try not to find out too much. So the podcast is you and your mom doing it together. Yep. Yeah. And it's called um, How I Met My Mother Sober, uh, basically because I was trying to come up with a name and I was thinking about, well, first I wanted to do like all in all in the family. And it seemed like somebody else already had that. So I was just like writing down names of shows and how I met my how how I met your mother was on the list. And my husband said, like, you could do how I met my mother sober. And then it's like how you met her and how you met her yourself sober. That and makes I was, it, yeah. Great. And so. No, yeah. I like that. Um, and even like the little like look design is like New York City and everything like that. Like it's well, very it's true. It's Philly. It's Philly skyline, but it 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 is kind of like. How how did I not look hard enough? Because I have Philly skyline right here on my wrist. <laughs> It's very similar to the to the show logo. Like I briefly looked at the thumbnail, so maybe I had. So wait, where are you from then, Jules? Really? So I'm from I'm from outside of Camden. Oh, okay. So we're not far. No. So um, because that's that's so funny. I had no idea. Um, because <laughs> I had a guy I had a guy on earlier this week. He was from you know Philly, and then I've had a few people on that were actually miles from where I grew up. Um, I grew up in, you know, a small town called Mount Ephraim. It's right over the Walt Whitman um, mm-hmm. and Audubon Park. I could see the Walt Whitman from where I grew up, really, until I was six. You could see the, the entrance to the Walt Whitman where I grew up. Um, so you're you're a Philly girl. Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. That's awesome. I had no idea. See, I told you, I don't like to find too much. I like to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And And I definitely am. So that means Always Sunny was definitely on your list, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to find a way to toy with that name like I gotta make it work <laughs> that's funny so what's your sober date so my sober date is September 1st 2016 okay what was going on at the end of August in 2016 mm. well I uh right before I went into rehab I had I mean like I was like a chronic relapser but I never really actually had like real sober time. Like I would have a couple days here and there, maybe like a month. Um, and then it was like, oh, I'm sober from Percocet, but I'm still taking Xanax and calling myself sober. Um, and 
So I, I have to the- ask, did you call him Johns? No, I did not. Because <laughs> you're from Philly. It's funny because if you're on the, it's on, on the Philly side of the bridge, they don't call Perks Johns. On the Jersey side of the bridge, they call him Johns. Do they? Yeah. Every yeah. Se- and and I thought it was a an us thing. I thought it was like our code kind of thing with like my guys. And then talking to two other people recently from our area, and they're from South Jersey. I met them like on Facebook and TikTok, and they happen to be miles from me, like West Stefford and Brook, like you know what I mean, like right there. So they're like, no, we called them Johns too. And then that guy I had on, you know, Charlie, he's like, oh no, we didn't call them Johns. You just called everything Johns. I'm like, yeah. But it's just funny that the Philly side of the bridge didn't call Blues Johns, but the Jersey side does. I just yeah. I find it so weird. Um, <laughs> so you were you were into Xanax and you know pills? Yes, I was a pill girl. Um, so it was really opiates, but when I couldn't get opiates, it was the benzos. And so towards the end, um, I had overdosed probably like in December. And I went to my doctor and I told him, I was like, listen, like, I'm clearly an addict and I overdosed and like, I'm scared. And he was like, well, let's, let's put you on a fentanyl patch then. And, um, that'll help control your pain. Cause I legit had a pain condition and then, then we'll get rid of the pills. But then it was like, he was still giving me pills. So, so I had this relapse even though I was still in the fentanyl patches, I had this relapse. I was like doing the right thing with the patches. And then I started sucking on the patches. And then I bought all these Xanax from somebody. And like the night before September 1st, whatever day that is, August 31st, I don't know how many days are. every, Every other. So yeah, August 31st. So I was like, I had a baggie with Xanax and I was like not sleeping so but I was like every time I woke up I took like a couple more right so I don't even I couldn't even tell you how many I took but that morning my husband woke me up to go to work and he takes me to the train and I go to work and I'm sucking on a fentanyl patch and I have all the Xanax in my system from the night before and I fell asleep at my desk at work and they called me in a room and I was like union rep not saying a word. I want my union rep. So they got my union rep and put him on the phone. And he was like, they're, they got to take you to the clinic. They're going to drug test you. And if you want to save your job, you got to go to rehab. And I was like, well, fuck like, okay. And he, he was also one of us. So I go, I, you know, they, they P test me all that. And I'm like, we called your husband. He's on his way down. I'm like, motherfucker, this is going to suck. And so the doctor was like so compassionate. He was like, give yourself a chance. Like you, like I spoke with your husband before you got here on the phone. And he was like, this isn't my wife. Like this isn't who I married. You know, he's like, give yourself a chance. He was like so kind and compassionate. I'm like, I got to save my job. Like I need money to buy drugs. So I'm going to go to rehab. I'm going to do what you're saying, but I'm going to do the deal and come back out and just hide it better. You know, like that was my plan. And I went in and I was like, how the fuck did this happen? Like, how did I get here? I'm like, you know how you got here? Like, come on. 
And so I was like, I'm going to get up every day. I'm going to do the, like, I'm not even like in rehab. They let you, they don't make you go to like the programs and stuff right away. They let, and when you're you, still in yeah 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 you get at least like for me you got it you had at least three days yeah like at my place you had at least three before you had to show up to the iops and shit like that like the it wasn't iop because there was it was basically iop but on premises right right it's like four groups a day you know what i mean but yeah you were mandatory to go until you were done detoxing i mean Honestly, though, I I started the minute I got there joining groups because I was still kind of high from my flight. You know, I flew from Philly to L.A. for rehab, so I was still kind of feeling it. I wasn't withdrawing yet when I first got there. It was the afternoon in L.A., and it was beautiful in L.A., and I was they, they would do groups outside, and I was already smoking a cigarette, so I just kind of sat in, and I liked everything I heard. So I just kept going because it was better than laying in bed by myself. Gotcha. So I found that, you know, and I, I saw the, and I, and I didn't want to be, there was the people that never left the rooms and they just were in their bed the entire time in the darkness with the shades drawn. I'm like, you're in sunny LA. You're like, try to enjoy it while you can. Cause we've been living in hell for however long we were in addiction. Like just try to enjoy that sure. we don't have to be anywhere. We don't have to see anyone. We can just relax. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got right up and I was like, I'm going to show them. I'm not like these people. <sighs> so delusional. Uh, I started going to classes like right away. I started doing all the things and I was like trying to manipulate the doctor. I was like, I really think I only need to be here because I was like asking everybody. I'm like, how long did your insurance approve you for? I'm like, fuck, I have good insurance. They're going to like make me stay for like a month. And the doctor's like, I think well, we want to keep you for like three weeks. I'm like, I really think I could do like a week. Like really trying to manipulate him. And then I find out that my insurance approved me for 21 days. And so I uh, started going to the classes, did all the stuff, and just kind of started hanging out with the kids. There were a lot of young kids. And um, this one kid said to me, he was like, everybody was saying like, oh, this is my 16th time in rehab. This is my sixth time. You know, I'm 37. I just turned 37. And there were so many young kids that had been in, in and out of facilities and this one kid said to me, like, this is your first time. He was like, please, please, please get it now. And I was like, huh. And that stuck with me. Yeah. And then I was like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to try and do this. So I called my husband and I was like, this is where the patches are. Fucking throw them out. Get rid of them. Shred them. Take them to the pharmacy. Do whatever you got to do. Just get rid of them. Get them out of the house. Before I changed my mind you know why you had some clarity and some like some wits about you before you yeah. can manipulate yourself to manipulate him when you came home and they were too close to get so that 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 i do have that question then did yeah. your husband know what you were doing and you know what i mean no you were hiding he didn't okay. know the extent he knew that you were prescribed yes you know medicine obviously and he knew that it made you probably euphoric because you you know you would see it but it's just a reaction from your medicine because of the pain. He would give me one every three days because we had them locked up, but I would suck on them. And then I wouldn't have anything like a day later. And 
Uh, and then I would take the Xanax and, you know, he would ask me, you know, what are you taking? We never had any money. Like, and I would lie my ass off and manipulate him. And he was in denial. He didn't want to believe. He loved you. Yeah. He just loved you. And then he just wanted to believe that you were the person that he married. Oh, he loved the shit out of me. Yeah. We only knew each other for two years when we got married. Like it was very quick for us. And within six months of being married, I was a drug addict. And like, he stuck with me for like the next four or five years through that. And then, you know, I got into treatment and I, once I had clarity and I started doing all of the the classes and stuff like that, I really like committed. I was like in all in, like I was journaling every day. I was writing letters. I was writing letters to my mom, my sister, my brother, him. Um, like I was doing like the special stuff. They were like, if anybody wants to go to this thing, that's like off campus, I was doing that. Like I was doing everything. And then like, I really had like God block. I was like, I, I did a lot. I did AA, I did NA, I did all of that. Like before I even entered rehab, I was in the rooms and I, uh, I had such a God block and I had this individual therapist that was like, I have did a you up Catholic? I did. Yeah. So did I. And that's yeah. why I had a God block too. And uh-huh. everybody that I talked to out of 80 fucking episodes, everybody I talked to that had problems with saying God, I asked, were you Catholic? Every single one. Yup. 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 Every single one lost faith in the early 2000s. And I'm one. And, you know, I even went to Catholic high school. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever heard of Paul Six over in Jersey. I went there for a year. And then I was done because I was like, I'd rather be in public school. I, I don't to- like this at all life every single grade yeah were you saint joe's girl what's that the only catholic school i can think of over there is saint joe's like the big one (laughs) cvm and then archbishop ryan oh okay so this therapist he was like i have a book for you and actually it's on my desk it's uh refuge recovery right and it's just says a buddhist path to recovering from addiction and I opened it and I was like, whatever, man, like, okay, Buddhists are weird. Like, I didn't really even know anything about it, but it just said, like, all it requires you to do, it doesn't require you to believe in anything. It's just do the work and trust the process. I was like, all right, cool. I, I can do that. So I started reading this book and it just like changed everything. And this, this book just like, I, I really credit it with like, first I had the clarity to, to say, I want to try and do this. Right. I didn't want to do it for myself. I didn't want to be sober for myself. I wanted to do it for my husband. I wanted to do it to, uh, regain the relationship with my sister, who was my best friend and who had to completely pull away from me. And I just really wanted that relationship back in my life. So I was doing it for other people. And then when I read this book, then I wanted to do it for myself. And this book really just changed everything. And I really credit it with uh, keeping me sober the first year. Yeah. And it's okay that, you know, you didn't believe in anything right away. You don't have to, you know, my higher power was the rooms at first. I still don't. You know, and, and, you know, I, I still, I believe in law of attraction. I believe that things are meant to happen how they happen and they'll happen when they happen. You know what I mean? And I believe that I have no control over shit except for what I'm doing. And that's literally it. 
you know, and that, that's why I, and I choose to call my higher power Bill Murray, you know, which is easier. I don't, you know, and my wife and I always make a joke instead of saying, thank God, we would say, oh, thank Bill. But, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just like a thing. Um, But yeah, it's, as long as you just know that shit will work itself out, like, that's what I always tell myself. It'll work itself out. You know, it'll work itself out. Yeah. Um, you know, my sister is very, um, she believes in the law of attraction in the universe and all of that. And it's, that's still hard for me to get down with, but um, I really can just trust the process. And as long as I do the work, I'm like, okay, everything will be fine. I just need to take care of me, keep my side of the street clean. And, you know, it's all those like, Although Little cliches. Rooms, I still have all the like the AA sayings and NA sayings yeah. still a part of my life, and they still make sense. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to my man Jeff Vickers with his book Sober Slogans. That's what I always think of Sober uh, Slogans. Uh, yeah, he's been on the show. He's going to be back on again. Um, but yeah, he he wrote a book in his first year of sobriety called Sober Slogans, um, <laughs> and it's pretty cool. But yeah, he uh, he's he's a funny dude. <laughs> anyway. So let me backtrack even more then. Um, yeah. did, you said your addiction started like six months into being married? Yeah, I, um, I hurt my back and I was prescribed tramadol. And <laughs> back then, they, it was believed to be non-addictive. And When was uh, this? When is back then for you? Oh, this was 2012. Okay. Yep. Yeah, 2012. Like the beginning of 2012. And I was like, the fuck it's not because I'm going through withdrawal, man. And I know I'm addicted to this. And I knew pretty soon, pretty early. And then I was playing the game like, oh, the, you know, the tramadol is not working. And then it was like, oh, the Vicodin makes me sick. Can you give me the Tylenol with codeine? So I would like have all three. And, and then it just like built, and then I was sent to pain management and then I was like given Percocet and then I was buying it. And then I, when I didn't have that, I was like getting the Xanax and Ativan from my doctors. And then when I didn't have that anymore, I was buying that and it just progressed. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's in the same doc, it was it the same doctor that gave you tramadol that ended up giving you the patches too. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, on to like several different pain okay. I was going to have a real big problem with that. Like, how does that doctor think you need fentanyl when he first started you out with tramadol? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a pain management clinic that actually was giving me, that was doing like procedures on my back, like called rhizotomies, where they burn the nerves off in your back. They were doing all this shit. And, like, they diagnosed me with all these conditions with, like, turns out now I know I don't have. Like, explain Interesting. that. Yeah. So I had this doctor tell me, like, yeah, you were told you had all these conditions. So your body started doing all of these. You, you started mimicking these things and, and you believed it. So, yeah, of course you were in pain. So. Yeah, you get home and from your doctor telling you some weird name, what's the first thing you do? You Google what it is, you Google what happens from it, you Google how your body's going to react, and then your body, ought, your mind is so powerful, our minds, and all of a sudden it's like you're limping. It's like, well, you didn't hurt your left foot. No, but no, but it said my left foot's going to hurt, though. 
and it hurts out of bed like legitimately could not get out of bed and do things and then i really couldn't get out of bed without the drugs to do anything and oh, I, couldn't. I couldn't the last couple of years i had to like roll over and snort a pill while i was still laying down like i would just <laughs> shove a pill inside of a straw and break it up while i was still laying on my side just to and then be like oh all right now i can get out of bed and start my right. day and, it, and if i didn't have that it was you know i was living in lancaster county jules my last three years, I was driving from Lancaster County to South Jersey four times oh. a week to pick up, and then I would sit on the Schuylkill, and I'd be throwing up bile into a bag for an hour of sitting on the Schuylkill, waiting to cross over the bridge to meet my dude over in Williamstown to turn around and go right back over again. Oh God, so, so you were throwing up in a bag. I remember very early on when I was still taking the tram at all. I was taking so much of it that it was, like, making me physically sick, and I wasn't throwing up but I was spitting up a lot and my husband started calling me spit bag. And so like, that was a little bit like, but that was before we eat, both of us even realized what was going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, addicted then. Oh, that, oh, that, oh, doing all that actually though cost me my golf. This life. episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. I, I ended up, I lost it three years later in sobriety and a ton of stomach tissue because of it too, because it's already eaten away at that. You know, yeah. and it's those little things that we don't think about in those moments, you know, because we're so caught up in what we need to do. So you get into a bad accident of some sort and then they're like, all right, well, here's all the pills you're going to need. And then once you start, you're up and then you're up and then you're up and what do you finally and then finally you get the fentanyl patches. Yeah. And but you were still buying on the street, though, right? I wasn't buying on the street as in, like, going down the way. I don't know if that's a, you know, that term. Nobody in rehab knew what that meant, going down the way, which just yeah. means, like, going down to Kensington or whatever. Yeah. I never had to go down the way. Um, I always bought off of friends that had scripts that I mm -hmm. knew were from pharmacies. Yeah. And if I couldn't get anything from any of them, my mom would buy from friends of hers for me. So my and, next question was your mom and addict, because if yeah. you're having a, a, you know, this kind of podcast together, it makes me feel like she has some ex shared experiences. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. So my whole life, her and my father, both heroin addicts. And yeah, she's had bouts of sobriety here and there. But in my addiction, she was in her addiction and we were both feeding off of each other. We were both toxic to one another. And. I would manipulate the shit out of her to, for her to give me, like, whatever she had, you know, like, oh, she would be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you one Xanax now and then I'll give you one later because she didn't want to enable me. But at the same time, she's like, I know what it's like to be an addict and I can see 
what you're going through. Yeah. So, and I would really play on that. Like, oh, I'm having so much anxiety. Like, no, I've heard you mention a sister. Is that your only sibling? No, I have a brother and a sister. They're both not addicts. Um, where do you fall in the line of the three? I'm oldest. So am I. I'm oldest of three. So okay. is it? And the you, your sister, then your brother's the youngest? My sister's the youngest. Oh, okay. So it's every, okay. And, you, and you're all pretty close? Now. Uh, now. My brother has kind of separated, and I feel like he's kind of dealing with a lot of his own issues, having to deal with the childhood trauma where he just, he's yeah. separated from us because he just can't. Not only does he have middle child syndrome, but he also has two parents that were addicts, an older sister that was an addict that enable on each other. I mean, you know, it's not surprising, especially no. as a normie, it's not surprising that, you know, his mental health would be like, I got to I got to back away a little bit. Yeah. And like, I just actually just text him today and I never get a response and I never expect one, but I just still text them to say like, hey, if you want to come to Christmas dinner, you know. We're happy to have you, um, but I understand if you don't want to make it or you can't make it. I still love you. I hope you're living your best life and leave it you, at that. Because you just celebrated five years. I did. Yeah. yeah. So weird is he was at my one year. He came to a meeting. He watched me get a coin, gave me a hug, told me he was so proud of me. And um, then that was like kind of when he started to pull away. And I don't really, I don't know what happened there, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's not, and and it's it's you know it's not even worth trying to overthink it because as addicts we overthink everything. Yeah. Y you know, <laughs> you end up overthinking it, and it would probably be wrong because you don't. I did. I did overthink it, and I just finally had to say like he's doing what's best for him, and that's it. Just leave it at that, and you know. That's you just it. keep yeah. You reach your hand out every here every now and again, like you'll Easter, you'll send that a message. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I get that. That's cool though. Um, now, do you have any kids, or you were able to like stay okay? Good. Yep. I hate to say okay, good, but like what given the it circumstances, was pretty good. <laughs> my husband and I both never wanted children, and mental illness runs in my family, his family, and everybody in my family is mentally ill, a drug addict, or a criminal. So. I've always known I didn't want kids, and I kind of I I I kind of raised my brother and my sister, right? Because my mom was an addict, my dad was an addict, yeah. and so I raised them. And what's the, What's the difference in ages? Like I'm three years older than my brother, and nine more than my sister. So I'm five years older than my sister, and I'm two years older than my brother. Okay. And so my brother is three years older than my sister. Yeah, so you're pretty, you're still pretty, you weren't all in the same high school together, but you were still pretty close. Yeah, close. You, know, you weren't, yeah, you're pretty close in ages. So did you get in trouble growing up at all? Like as like a rebellious one? No, no? I was a perf I, perfect child, but I was a perfect child. I did not get in trouble. I got straight A's. I graduated high school with a 4.0. Like when, when I say to you, literally everyone I know would say I'm the last person on the face of the earth that they ever would think would become an addict like that is real talk like yeah last person on the face of the earth that people would think would become an addict but and so, that's why it's so important for me to recover out loud because I'm like yeah. it can happen to me it can happen it's, to anyone exactly and you know like and it's funny because for me people would say that too because like I grew up with my parents have been together 40 years 
wow. you know, and they're still very happy. And they've never drank alcoholically. I've never heard my dad even yell at my mom. You know what I mean? Like none of that kind of shit. We went on vacations as a family. There's my mom must have 30 photo albums filled with pictures of over 25 years of memories, you know, like a picturesque what you would want you know my brother is very happy as a wife and a newborn my sister is getting married in april and owns a house in mount ephraim and she did that by 22 like wow. the total opposite and like for me i got very good grades and but the problem is according to my grandma <laughs> i was too smart for my own good ah and it's almost like i can't get out of my own way kind of deal and and i get that and it's because i wanted to rebel I wanted to do things different. I wanted to find out for myself. I don't want anyone to tell me how it's going to play out. I need to find out. Yeah. And I think that stubbornness, it, it's that stubbornness is what caused me to like experiment and to try shit because yeah, I was a partier though, but I drank hard in high school. I drank hard in middle school, you know? <laughs> so yeah. And, and you weren't a drinker and you weren't really anything. I would say when I turned 21, I started going out to the bars because I just had turned, I just broke up with a boyfriend, turned 21. And like from 21 to 25, like I would go out and drink all the time, like socially. I never drank alone. And then I met my husband, like I was done with the bars and I was done with the alcohol. And it was like not hard for me to stop drinking, you know, but there was always addict behavior. Um... Like, I am a shopaholic. I love food. I was, like, 200 pounds at one point. So No, I'm just kidding. I'm, like, 300 pounds now. (laughs) Addict behavior in my past. Um, Even when I didn't, like, take pills, like, I had a surgery, and I was given, like, 10 Percocet, and I didn't take any of them. But when the 10 days were up, I called the doctor and I was like, I'm still in a lot of pain and tried to get another script. Like for what? I didn't even take any of the ones I had. It's just addict behavior. Yeah. Now, how fast into your tramadol do you catch a feeling that you like and that you want to keep that feeling? Right away. It's, it's that, it's that first time that you use tramadol where you're like, wow, this is what I've been missing out on. This is what like, I'd say, like, the first week, I was like, oh, I really like this. This is a problem. This is going to yeah, be a problem. Because you didn't smoke weed. I didn't. Right? I, yeah, I, so you never you never really felt that kind of, you know, lift. You know, because yeah. alcohol is more like a wash. Alcohol is more like a, like a warmth washed over you. And then there's that heaviness that you get from pills. And I feel like it's a different kind of sensation, but... Cannabis can kind of like soften the blow with giving you an idea of what euphoria can feel like and to where it's a safe way <laughs> way to do it. Um, I but I love, I love weed. I started smoking weed in sobriety uh, with a, I got a medical, I mean, people have different ideas about weed. No, but we, then we both are PA MMJ, right? Because I have my medical marijuana card in Pennsylvania. No longer have it, though, because it became a problem in my marriage because I was doing it every single day. Because that's really? what happens. I find See, something I like, and I do it to excess. And I don't smoke it because I would, well, one, because I lost all that tissue. And so when I cough, it that nerve hits the back of my stomach. Gotcha. And I don't do things anymore that make my life unmanageable. Like, uh-huh. well, I smoke cigarettes still, and I'm working on that. 
um, you know, I say I'm working on that. I say I need to quit, and that's why I can't quit. It's like anybody else is a drug addict. Whenever they say they need to quit, it's not usually going to work. Whenever I finally, I subconsciously say I want to quit smoking, then mm. I'll then then I'll be able to stop right away on the dime. But wow. until I until I say want, I'm not really going to want it. You gotcha. know, as much as I say need, it's always because of something else, like a health or money situation. It's not I still enjoy cigarettes way too much to quit them. Um, so, but I don't smoke because like smoke weed, the caffeine, but also I wanted to change my relationship. I didn't want to escape right away. I didn't, you know, I always escaped with, you know, chugging with snorting, you know what I mean? It was an instantaneous, I was looking for always. So since when you, when you smoke and you inhale, you do feel it pretty quickly. And I, and I didn't want to be able to escape quickly anymore. I wanted to be able to sit in the shit be uncomfortable, be okay with being uncomfortable. And so I use like the RSO capsules. So okay. I'll dose with them when I take my blood pressure medicine. And then like one to three hours later, they'll start working their way through my system. I'm less anxious, I'm less depressed, and it does its job as a medicine and it's not me escaping as a high. There you go. So that's the difference of how you can, how I can, change my relationship with it and it not affect you know me wanting to get drunk or me wanting to get pills and by like opiates pills right. because you know I ran out of RSO like a week ago and um, you know it's Christmas time so you know we're broke so I haven't had any medicine the only thing it really affects is my sleep because I've been had sleep problems since I was eight and that helps me sleep at night I just double up at night it helps me sleep so, but besides that, like, I'm not moody. I, I'm not, like, having stomach cramps. I don't have the withdrawals that you have from, you know, me was Roxy's. That was my thing. Yeah. Like, the 30s, the blues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, what? That's what I overdosed on. Really? A handful of 30s and a hand, I was taking Ativan all day long. Just, like, the little one milligrams. Just, I couldn't yeah. even tell how many I took. And then I went and I met my dude and I got like 10 30s and I think I took like three and it was just like, boom, lights out. So, and it was yeah. mixed with all the benzo like from, I yeah. Day long. Yeah, like, I, I didn't know how much I had taken like a dummy. And yeah, that well, was you bad. forget. That's the problem yeah. with you forget how much you've taken. You forget that you even dosed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you take Xanax. You're like, I didn't take any Xanax yet. <laughs> and then you take more Xanax. <laughs> So, yeah, in the blackouts, I used to, I only reason I got into Zannies is because I thought I missed out on Quaaludes. I, yeah. I was like, I missed out on Quaaludes, but if I mix those two, it'll probably feel the same. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Um, so, what, um, what was it that you were like, I'm going to try to use cannabis, and how far into, because it didn't come to PA until... 2000 January well, no no it was January 2018 that's when medical marijuana started because um, I was one of the first patients in Pennsylvania started going to the gym right right in because I had gained like 30 pounds in uh sobriety eating Jolly Ranchers nonstop, and those were my cigarettes because I don't smoke and I don't drink coffee and that started in rehab and then I was buying the king size bags at home and I was like an idiot. I didn't think I was going to gain any weight. And then I noticed like none of my clothes were fitting. And so then I s- started working out and um, I was like going to the gym like addictively. 
And I was always nursing like little injuries here and there. And my back was still giving me trouble. And so I was like, all right, let me try the medical marijuana. And my husband and I talked about it and like, he was like, all right, let's, let's try it. Okay. So I tried it. And then it just became like, I was smoking. I was like smoking after seven o'clock every night when I got home from the gym, right? Then I was smoking before the gym. Then I was smoking anytime I was at home, I like had the vape on me and I was vaping all the fucking time. And it just became a problem. Um, speaking of problems, this is something different, but before I forget, there was a word that stuck to my attention when I was reading your bio on your podcast, um, codependent. Mm, mm-hmm. Is that for you or your mom? My, I would say my mom is more codependent, but I'm codependent too, because I raised my brother and my sister, like I said, and I would say I even raised my mom too, like. So it was always like, they would call me and it's like, okay, what do you need? Like, I'll fix it. I'll take care of it. Like whatever it was. So whatever they needed, I was always. Is, but your mom, but your mom is sober now. She's sober. We're both sober. Yeah. It's funny. We both got sober within a month of one another. Like when, because you you went September first. Did she go after you? She went. Well, she had a DUI. I had a DUI a month apart from her. Right. We both had a DUI one month apart from one another. And then she was in restraints in the hospital, and it was really bad. And then after that, she was like, I just. She said that she had said to herself, like. God, if I get out of these restraints, I swear to God, I will never touch a drug again. And she got out of the hospital and she got sober and that was it for her. And then I went into rehab a month later. I guess that DUI explains why your husband was dropping you off at the train station in the morning you had yeah. work. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And can I ask about your dad? My dad overdosed and passed away when I was 12. I'm sorry. Thanks. So th- that that would be the reason why you mostly had to step up when you were 12 because you had well, a seven-year-old. He, he was a drug addict my whole life. And my mom didn't become really bad until uh, my mom was a young mom. So she had all three of us by the time she was 25, which is fucking crazy to me. Um, but she, she it was, was different still, in the 80s. You know that. I know. She was you know, she was young. She was still kind of like partying with her friends, going out, going to the bar, stuff like that. And um, she didn't really get bad. Like she dabbled, you know, but she didn't get bad until, I don't know, I want to say maybe I was like eight or nine. But before that, I was still like tasked with so many responsibilities, like with cleaning the house and like. Like a little Matilda. Taking care of yourself, getting yourself to school. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Making, and yeah. Dad, it was just my mom. She was a single mom. My, my my dad wasn't around. And then my mom got into a relationship with a man who was institutionalized his whole life, in and out of jails. And so he ran our house like a fucking penitentiary. And it was like, that was crazy. And he was super abusive um, and like physically abusive, uh, emotionally, verbally, like all the ways. And then you had to feel like you had to protect your brother. 
I had to protect my brother and my sister. Yes. He never laid his hands on me. I don't know why. But he, whenever he, he would try to get to me by hurting him. And so I would, yes, protect them. That makes so, sense. Yeah, always kind of protecting them. <clears throat> yeah. How long did that go on for? Mm. Um, That's a hard thing for a kid. You know what I mean? Like, you're not even a teenager and you're trying to, like, you shouldn't have to, like, worry about protecting your brothers and sisters when you're still, like, in seventh grade. You know what I mean? And, like, a little kid. That's not yeah. something that you should have to worry about, you know? That's on until at least uh, I was starting college, like, out of high school. So I went on for a while. <laughs> Well, and and then to your mom's credit, you know, like you said, she was codependent and she was an addict. So this guy at least is showing her the love sometimes enough to keep her enough to keep her feeling like she can't go anywhere else. Well, it was more like I'm an addict and I need this guy to pay the bills. But she also was 100 percent in love with him, codependent and relied on him addicted to him we talk about being addicted to a person on the podcast and she totally was addicted to him that i'm so glad you know and my regular listeners can tune out if they want to this because they heard me say it a million times but i you know i want you to hear it. um you know because i run a meeting center my wife and we do mental health meetings here addiction aana whatever a bunch of different things um one of the things we were doing for a little while was families for addicts um, you know, families, loved ones that have addicts and still an active addiction. Um, and it was different from Al-Anon because Al-Anon, you're supporting each other as people who have found. And then with ours, you were coming and talking to like myself or like my sponsor or my wife and other people that are addicts to get our perspective from the recovery point of view to give them some insight. Oh, I like and that. to speak to what you just said, um, you know, a woman was very confused about not understanding her son's drug use for so long because she wasn't a drug addict. And all I had to do was just bring up a toxic boyfriend in her life, describe that toxic boyfriend and asked her how long she stayed in for it. And, and she was, and she totally was able to understand and sympathize with her son for the first time in a very long time, because she realized like, Oh, I didn't realize you considered a relationship. And I'm like, well, we don't in the moment. We don't know what it is. And then until you get some clarity and you look back and you're like, no, that was legitimately a love. That was a relationship that I had to cut ties. I had to write a breakup letter. I had, you know, all the whole nine, yeah. you know, I even had a breakup song. You know, I just I felt like I just had to have some kind of big separation from it or else it would like, you know, it's like whisper in my ear of all the good times. Uh-huh. Because like a toxic relationship, there are good times. That's why you stick around for so long is because you only think of the good times. Right. And, and them. Yep. And it's the same with when you go into a relapse is you start thinking about the good times and you don't think about the times that you were keeled over, you know, in a fetal position, <laughs> just waking up or the restless leg syndrome or the going to the bathroom. Oh, all that it was so funny that it was one of the first things like I put like on my 10 step like two weeks into rehab was like I was so grateful to be able to go to the bathroom again just like regular uh-huh. and it not like feel like I might die today <laughs> like it was the yeah. little things that you that you forget about just yeah. quality of life and you think you need these drugs because your life is shit but it's like no it's the drugs that are making your life shit 
Because obviously your back didn't just magically heal, did it? No. Did you get crazy surgeries to magically heal your back? Or it was just you started exercising, you well, started eating better? I think really what it was was that I I really kind of found out what I actually did have going on that was real. What was not real that what? the doctor told me that I did have. Wait, and then hold I on. I lost you for a quick second. Okay. Um, I was, what well, you were, I was saying um, about the, like your back, you didn't magically heal, did it? No, no. What happened was I, I found out what was legitimately going on in my back and what was not, what was not real, what diagnoses were not real and what diagnoses were. And I found out that I have fibromyalgia and all the other shit that they told me I had, I did not. I don't have anything wrong with my back. My back is structurally fine. I was told I had the back of an 80-year-old. I do not. Okay. They just wanted to be able to give you pills. Yes, exactly. And so they did all those crazy things. I had all these injections, all these things done to my back, and none of that was necessary. So once I found out what was actually going on with my body and what was not actually going on with my body, then my brain was able to say, okay, all right, cool. And so just like before when my, my brain believed all the things that were going on, once I found out what was actually going on, your mind is very powerful. And then all of those symptoms started to resolve. And Look so, at that. yeah. So, I mean, I have bad days and I am on uh, medication for my fibromyalgia, but I'm not on all those other things for like an 80 year old chronic back pain type situation. Yeah, yeah so, I don't, yeah, you don't need Ativan for back pain. Well, no, not, no. And the anxiety that I was dealing with, I, I do have crippling, crippling anxiety, but I deal with that with, um, an anti-anxiety medication that is not um, a benzo, you know, and um, I uh, I meditate. Yeah, and that, I, med that meditation's really like is has been important more. It's been important more for my wife than me and her recovery. I'm still trying to get better at meditating. It's been an ongoing process of trying to get better at it, trying to silence my mind for it. I remember. The first few weeks, first few months, you know, my first and, and when I was in rehab and in sober living and IOP meetings and all that. And whenever they told us we had to meditate, I was like, so, so outright against it. Like, so, so outright against. I remember the one time I talked to the case manager at IOP into letting me watch the NHL All-Star game instead of doing an hour long meditation because I said, that's only going to hurt my mental health to try to meditate for an hour. So how about I sit and quietly watch this instead? And, you know, and he was like, I'm not even going to argue with you anymore. Just do whatever you want. Like, yeah. like, okay. Because he knew I was just so dead set against it. And it wasn't until really I met my wife that, you know, I, you know, and, and you say, you know, you guys, <laughs> I kind of chuckled earlier on when you said, you know, you guys met kind of fast. Cause I met her a year into being sober and then um but i said i wouldn't get serious until like i get back from my one year anniversary because i wanted at least one year before i got into a relationship so when i came back you know we had known each other for like three weeks and then i just proposed 
And oh. but we couldn't get married until her divorce went through, and then that went through. We got married literally like we got we picked up her divorce papers, and then we walked across the street and we got our marriage license. Wow. <laughs> I know about I know all about like you know when you know you know though that's the difference. I really did. I knew within the first week. So yeah. And it's a really kind of like, I I don't even, it's one of those things that I can't describe to somebody that hasn't like fell quickly before because it is indescribable. It is like one of those, like, because nobody would ever believe you kind of feelings of like she wasn't there and then she's the only one that's been there since. I don't know. It's just. I was a person that did not believe in when you know, you know. You know, I didn't believe in that. I was like, okay, that's bullshit. You don't know each other well enough. And, like, I just knew right away. And yeah. I had to cut ties from a toxic relationship. I had broken up with a boyfriend, but I was still, like, going out and drinking and then ending up at his house and sleeping with him, you know, and but still living somewhere else. And then I met my husband, Jack, and the next day I completely cut all ties with that ex-boyfriend which was something I could not I could not it took me more times to leave him than it did for me to get sober like it was harder for me to leave that relationship than it was for me to get sober which is crazy so that's what I think I lost okay but yeah talking about codependency yeah, you know what I mean. I, Talk about codependency right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took so, me it took me more times to 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 leave that relationship than it did to get sober. And the only time I left that relationship was when I met my husband because I was like, "This I want to pursue, and this is gonna fuck it up." So done with that, and I'm gonna pursue this. Yeah, and, so, and that. Yeah. So what happened? What happened like that? I lost you again. The doctors to get that prescription. Sorry, I lost you. Yeah, I know. I don't know if it's raining down by you too. It is. No, um, I don't know if yeah, it might. Is it raining by you too? It is. It is. What? It is. Yeah, raining. it's it's yeah, yeah. I'm up in Bloomsburg, so oh. that's I'm like two hours away from Philly, but so we get all the rain too. Um, but anyway, um, so did you get into an, a, car, a car accident? No, it's the dumbest thing ever. I bent down to pick up a dog bone and I got stuck and I threw my back out. And then I was like limping around for like a week because I was not a person that goes to the doctors. And then finally my husband was like, would you please just go to the doctors? So I did, I went to a chiropractor and like, did that, did chiropractic care like three times a week, but it was like not helping. And then I went to an orthopedist that gave me tramadol. And then it was like, I just like kept going back for more and more and more. And then they sent me to pain management and then it was like off to the races. Yeah, because by then they weren't gonna prescribe you oxy from your like PCP. You have to go to pain management because, you know, the doctor shopping had like pretty much put a halt on all that by then. Yeah. So it would make sense that they were trying to get you just so your your personal doctor was like, oh, here's some low dose tramadol. You should be fine. It's not, you know, 
is not an opiate, so you'll be okay. And then, yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. It's something that takes us away from something. And even if it's you're over drinking coffee, if it's taking you away and making your life unmanageable, it might be a problem. Yes. So, yeah. but I know you're not feeling well. I know the weather <laughs> sucks. But thank you for at least sitting down for a little bit. I know you had a long week and getting to know you. And by the way, if I would have heard your accent right when we started talking a little more. Cause oh, I know. The, I'm the so yeah. Now. The, the yeah. Like, every time I hear yeah, like, I didn't know I had an accent until I lived in Massachusetts. Like, because I grew up in South Jersey, you know what I mean, in that area. And then I moved to Mass when I was 19. And everyone's like, you have an accent. I'm like, fuck you talking about. You have an accent. You don't even say you're ours. In rehab, I went to rehab in Lancaster. And so, like, people came from all over, like, Pittsburgh, yeah. like, everywhere. And they would be like, say soda. Because they they would say that I said soda. Like, I don't know. Say, say water. Yeah, say that was a bit. Like, I don't say know, house, like, yeah. O's. Yeah, it was it was home. And they would yeah. say, say home. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, and say this and say, yeah, I, I know I got that too. Because I live, I probably, would you go to White Deer Run? No, I went to Retreat. Okay. Uh, White Deer Run's in Ephrata. That's what I'm thinking of, I think. Um, Which is right next to Lancaster. It's yeah, yeah. Lancaster County. Um, I used to go to meetings down there. When I came back from rehab, um, I was living in Hershey, and then I would drive down to Ephrata about an hour to go to a meeting oh, wow. three times a week. Um, not because I couldn't find a closer meeting. It was more or less penance, um, honestly, um, because I was driving so much to get high for so long that I felt like I should drive for sobriety, too. Wow. So I found that meeting, and I would do that like two, three times a week. I met some cool people, so I just kept going back you know, until it didn't serve me anymore. And then I moved, but, you know, but yeah, that's something that I would just, it was like a long drive through Lancaster, through the back roads, you know, didn't have radio at some point for a little bit to get down there. But so I met some people in that area and I went to some meetings in Lancaster city sometimes. Um, Yeah. But I got sober in LA. Like I went all the way out there to get sober. And then I came back. Yeah. When you say it. What? Now I hear it when you say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't accent. <laughs> it's almost like we say it like Y E A. It's like we leave the H off. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's no, just, or it the, does. Or Y A. I don't know, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so aware of it now. Yep. Home and phone. Phone was another one too. And I also learned that I didn't say my L's all the way. So I was telling a story once, and I was like, "Yeah, so I had to run over railroad tracks," and they were like. They're like, the what? I'm like, railroad tracks. They're like, train, rail, railroad, JD? I'm like, yeah, railroad. They're like, you're not saying your L. I'm like, yeah, what? When I sober, I'm like, sober. Like, I hear sober, it. Sober, sober, yeah. Yep, and yeah. Um, Nick Kroll does a very funny thing, making fun of our accent, when he had the Nick Kroll show, where he had, like, this pawn shop in Philly, this Philly pawn shop, and it's hilarious. It was on the Comedy Central... It was on Comedy Central. It's all over YouTube. Just type in Nick Kroll Pawn Shop. It's so okay. funny how they make fun of our accent. His okay. cousin's like from Maryland. So they incorporate that accent. And then Pittsburgh. It's so fucking funny. I'm gonna um, yeah, definitely check it out. But thank you so much for taking time to sit down and talk. And, and it's awesome getting to know you. And awesome to find out another Philly girl and another Philly person. Because you're the first Philly girl that I've talked to, actually. 
Oh, I've had cool. a Philly guy, a couple of Jersey guys, a bunch of Jersey girls. Well, but... my ego, my addict ego loves being the first, so. Yep, you nailed it. Definitely the first Philly girl. Not There was Philly Jersey girls, but not Philly girls yet. So you got that one. Love so, that. <laughs> unless I find somebody else in the meantime and I bump you back and I put hers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> have a great weekend, Jules, and I'll talk you... to you soon. All right, sounds good. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye. Thanks.